0: I want to be a size that we can manage. I don't want to hire eight sales reps to be out in the world selling our wine. I want to be a size we can manage. We can touch our customers still. And, and we do have customers all over the country. I mean, we're distributed in about 40 states. So we can't, But I can still feel like I can reach them.
1: It's Ruthie Sullivan. Welcome to this week's episode of The Ruthie Podcast, where I interview everyday women to learn how they're making a living, listen to highlights of their current career, points and pivots they made along their personal and professional journeys, and the individual story behind it all. Join me and see how successes, failures, obstacles, and triumphs come together and offer courage to ask, now what, as they meet life right where it's at. Today, you will get to hear from Maria Stewart of R. Stewart & Company Winery in McMinnville, Oregon. I was privileged to interview Maria shortly before she passed away after completing her journey with cancer. She is revered for her unique and profound influence and leadership in the Oregon wine industry, and she is treasured by her whole community, most especially by her husband and children who she cherished endlessly. I am incredibly grateful I was fortunate to cross paths with her, and I say, to where you are, Maria, thank you. Meet Maria. Today I'm interviewing Maria Stewart of R. Stewart Winery, and we're in McMinnville, Oregon right now. We're sitting on 3rd Street at the 3rd Street Pizza Company, and thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. Oh, I feel very honored for the little bit that I know about you. <laughs> so, Maria, tell us a little bit about, like, maybe where you were born. Just give us a little backstory to your story. Okay. Where you were born, how you ended up here, how many children you have. Right. I was born in East
0: Lansing, Michigan at Sparrow Hospital, which I think is a very sweet name for a children's hospital. And, um, I lived a lot of places in my childhood. My dad was transferred a lot for his work and um, ended up, I went to school in Indiana and then I um, moved to Chicago. And after a brief career in, um, brief but very intense career in public relations and event planning, I got into the wine business and which I really, thought of as a stopping point, but turned out to be something I loved so much that, um, it just carried me away. And, um, I ended up the company I worked for in Chicago represented a lot of Oregon wineries when Oregon wine was really in its infancy. It was, you know, 20 years old, but nobody knew about it. And, um, this was the mid eighties and we represented all the pioneering early wines of Oregon in Chicago and had them all on all the best wine lists. And um, I ended up winning a trip to come out here to the Willamette Valley to attend an event, which became very dear to my heart, called the International Pinot Noir Celebration. And um, it was there in 1990 that I met my husband. And I went back to Chicago, and um, my roommate picked me up at the airport, and she said, how was your trip? And I said, it was great. I met the man I'm gonna marry. And she (laughs) said, you did? And I said, yep, I did. She said, does he know that? I said, nope, he doesn't. (laughs) And um, anyway, a year later, I moved out here, and a year after that, we got married. And um, in 1994, we moved to McMinnville, at the time, we were the only um, wine family to live in McMinnville, um, which is totally different now. It's like half wine people, I think. <laughs> There's and, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And um, it really, the wine industry really drives the economy here mm-hmm. in McMinnville. And um, anyway, uh, I ended up going to work for the International Pinot Noir Celebration and became the executive director. Um, we have three children and the oldest was born halfway through the event one year when I was the director, I woke up on the event is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I woke up on Saturday morning in labor and, um, which was his due date. So it's the only time he's ever been on time. And, uh, And, uh, so, um, I've always been involved in that event, which has, which is internationally known among wine events and people come here from all over the world to attend it. And so even after I wasn't a staff person anymore, I was a board member and I was, um, various things, you know, had various affiliations with the event. And so that, um, I believe is in its 34th year this year, Uh, has had to stop for the last couple of years, of course, because of COVID, but um, it's a really beautiful event that really um, helped to put the Oregon wine industry on the map. And I'm really proud of my involvement in that. Um, Went on to have two more children. Um, We have two boys, 18 months apart. And then four years later, we decided we weren't quite finished and had a little girl who's just left for college. And as a freshman and a mama heart is a little broken, but very yeah. happy too.
1: It's a weird contradiction it's of so emotions. Very,
0: so proud and so sad. Yeah. Um, and 20 years ago, Rob and I, Rob has always been a winemaker and I've always done events and hospitality and marketing. And um, so 20 years ago, we started our own winery. He left working for somebody else and... Um, we have been doing that ever since, and we have a wonderful staff of employees and we've built what I think is a really cool thing here. And we make wine that we love and we make it with a lot of integrity and sell it to people who want to drink good wine, not who want to like hang awards on the wall.
1: Yeah. That's important to us. So I'm excited to try it okay
0: good yeah <laughs> <laughs> the most people most wineries are out in the valley they're not here in town that's what kind of did it in an unusual low overhead <laughs> way yeah we just rented a building over here in the granary district and moved our equipment in and started making wine and we buy fruit we own so one vineyard
1: make the now. Wine right here okay. we make the wine oh, okay.
0: right here mm-hmm. and we own a vineyard now but we Um, also buy fruit from about 10 different vineyards around the valley and then we put tasting uh, our tasting room here on third street um, which is where there's a lot of foot traffic and it's our main street
1: yeah it's a magical yeah it really is magical (laughs) it's great this is a wonderful community to live in i'm largely like increasingly inspired by the community effort and intentional it's really rare. The
0: community spirit here is very, I think it's really rare and it's very valuable. It's very, it's interesting. You'll see a lot of people who grew up here go away and come back yeah. because um, this isn't replicated
1: in other places. No. And you assume that everything is like this but it's not. It's not. I've lived a lot of places and it's not. Right. (laughs) I've lived a lot of great places. Yeah. And and (laughs) they have
0: other things to to brag about. But yeah, Yeah, this community spirit here is really, really strong.
1: Okay, continue. So you had the two, the two boys. What are their names? Um, The oldest is Joe and um,
0: he just, a year ago graduated from college and started his first full-time gig. He's a sports announcer actually for our local college, Linfield university. That's been his dream all his life. So I'm so happy that he gets to do it. And then our middle son who's 22 is named Ben and he is um, also a wonderful human being. And he has recently, he's not in school right now. And, as of right now, not working, he has just moved home back to us with us to help take care of me. And, um, which is a really generous thing to do because, um, he was living in Portland and working at a cool restaurant and going out with his friends. And, but he just, he wanted his siblings who've been here since I was diagnosed and didn't taking care of me. I mean, it's not like I need constant nursing or anything like that, but it's also time with you, too, right? Yeah, exactly. And then our youngest daughter, our only daughter, but the youngest also, um, as I said, has just gone off to school in San Francisco.
1: And what's and her name?
0: Her name is Charlotte. Oh, OK. Yeah. Okay. And she's 18 and she's so happy to be in San Francisco, <laughs> so happy to be making new friends. What she really wanted, what she missed here, and it's and it's a good point, is diversity, As wonderful Mm. as this community is, it's very monochromatic and, um, it's great for her to be able to be in the world and hanging out with kids from all over the country and and all over the world too. Yeah. Yeah. Such a mixed bag of cultures. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's a wonderful experience. So yeah. And then my husband is Rob and we've been married for almost 30 years and um, I think I told you a little bit about him. He's a winemaker and he's a wonderful father
1: and, um, yeah. And how, so back to the early days when you did meet and you knew that you were going to marry him, (laughs) you didn't know yet. (laughs) Right. How did that, how did that happen? Well, um,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, talk about manifestation. I really manifested marrying him and this doesn't sound very romantic. But it was. But now, in hindsight, I know that um, he really fit in with my plan. And I didn't even know I had this plan. <laughs> um, I love that line. Um, I wanted to move out here and I wanted to. I don't think I knew it until I came here, of course, but I wanted to. When I came here to the first IPNC that I went to, International Pinot Noir Celebration, I saw these people living this life of these beautiful bucolic lives of owning a winery and um, making wine and taking mm-hmm. care of people and cooking them good food. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want my life to be. And... um And simultaneously, I met Rob, who is this wonderful man who, and we had so much in common. Um, We both really love to eat and drink. And um, we both love books and music and, you know, all kinds of things that make you fall in love with a person. And um, I I really think that my powerful intention to make that, he was 37 years old when we got married. He had no intention of getting married. Mm -hmm. And I think that my powerful manifestation to make that happen was what really um, did make it happen. And it turned out to be wonderful for both of us. I mean, it hasn't been perfect. (laughs) Don't, you know, nothing is, but (laughs) um, we've certainly had our ups and downs. But we've come a long way and we've accomplished a lot. Yeah. 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 And um, again, he's been a great partner
1: to me during my illness as well. Tell me what things you've learned in your lifetime, I guess, that have enhanced, given you perspective, and given you the courage to to deal with what you're dealing with. So share with us if you don't mind. I don't mind. I don't mind at all. Tell us um, what you're going through. uh,
0: Last February 21st, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, It's a gastrointestinal cancer that originated in the bile duct and has spread to my liver, and um, it's stage four, so they don't have a cure for it. And um, the prognosis is not very good, as I understand, but I don't listen to that. I don't, I tell my doctor all the time, don't you tell me how long I have, because that will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I want to believe I have 20 years, at least. <laughs> I, what I have realized in the last year that my most ardent wish is to become an old woman. (laughs) I wanna be a grandmother and I wanna, um, I want to, I just wanna have the privilege of living to be old. And you know, people, there's those quotes that talk about that, you know, don't complain about getting old, it's a privilege denied to many and I never thought about it before, but it's really it's really what I want. And I, um, I've been through a lot of treatments in the last 18 months, chemotherapy and radiation and surgery. And, um, I'm, you know, maintaining, I'm now doing, um, I'm about to start next week. Probably I'll start on a clinical trial, which is mm-hmm. an experiment basically that they're just looking for, um, people with my kind of cancer to try it out, to see if it works. It's not FDA p- approved. And, um, uh, that'll be the third one of these that I've done. The other two haven't worked and that's why they're doing the trials, but I'm really lucky because I'm maintaining my medical team looks at me and says, I can't believe how well you're doing, um, after all this time too. And, um, you know, one of the many things that I believe is that you have to have a reason to live. And Mm -hmm. I really, I really want to see my kids move on to the next stages of their lives, whatever those are. I want to see my daughter graduate from college. I want to see what Ben, my middle son, ends up choosing to do with his life. I want to see Joe make all his dreams come true with the sports announcing gig. I want to see them get married. I want to have them hold their children. And um, that's my reason to live, you know. Mm -hmm. And I do... I carry on because I carry on very much in the same way, as much as I can, as before I was sick, like working by being diagnosed at exactly the same time as COVID shutting down the world was kind of odd because I didn't actually realize that that had happened.
1: (laughs) I thought it was just me
0: who was stuck at home. And, um, but one of the things I love to do more than anything in the world, it's, I would say it's one of my reasons for, definitely my love language is cooking for people. I love to feed people and, and the magic of bringing people together around a table. It's the whole reason I actually fell in love with the wine industry because there's so much of that joyful joyful communing. I was going to say eating, but that's too simple. It's it's being together and passing the dishes and looking in people's eyes and and somebody you did or didn't know and laughing and sharing a joke and whether or not, you know, what their politics are. And, um, there's just so much community in that. And that's so important. It's really been the reason I have stayed in this industry because I think it's, it's a great way for me to help to build community. Um, anyway, I want to get back to the point where I can do that again, where people can come over and, I have a new next door neighbor who says, I love the way your house is always, your, your kids are always coming and going. And there's always so much happening. And I'm like, oh, you should have been here two years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's when there was really a lot of action. I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. it's so quiet now. Oh. Um, But that's really, uh, that's how we got here, I guess.
1: Yeah. There's got to be so much emotion Attached to that want and also attached to the simple nature of this life, you know, like that we come, we know we're going to go, you know, but then do we ever, do we ever really go?
0: (laughs) I know. I don't think we really believe it. You know, I didn't. I'm not sure I still do. I, I sometimes I think I just, oh, well, of course I'll still be here in 20 years you know, (laughs) like where else would I be? Yeah. I think that's so important. And if it's one thing I have learned is to just keep it simple. Like what else matters? I have had periods of my life where in a lot of ways I'm a very demanding person. I have a lot of, um, I have very high expectations for myself and for the people around me, like in my business and, and, for my children. Um and that's partly that comes from being an event planner and also just um uh I come from a culture that you know with my family of origin that where the standards were really high and things had to look a certain way and and be a certain way. And one of the things I now know, of course, and embrace and want to pass on to other people is that things don't have to be perfect to be wonderful.
1: Yeah. You know, a
0: lot of things are imperfectly wonderful. Imperfectly perfect. Yeah. And that gives them their own charm and their own joy. And, um, so I'm happy to let go a lot of, of a lot of that pressure and putting that pressure on the people I love.
1: And that, and there's so much living that you're doing right now in yeah. the midst of all of that, but to the, to that the point of having high standards, having things look a certain way and be polished and presented in a way that is represented, representative of your, your um, intent, maybe behind it. You yeah. Know? Right. And yet also letting go. Right. So, cause there's a, a balance and there's probably like a balance in stage of life too. Yeah. Do you understand that? What I'm asking, just speak a little bit more to that, I guess. Right. Kind of what you were saying. in. Well, re- I think that, um,
0: I mean, I you can equate it to so many things. For, for instance, in my business, the wine business, there are a lot of people who get into owning a winery who have a lot of money. They have a lot of money and they have a lot of staff. And they're able to just roll out whatever kind of show they want um, in terms of the way their buildings look and in terms of the way their printed materials look and their labels and, and all these kinds of things and the bells and whistles that they use to make their wine. And we're not like that. We don't have those kind of deep pockets. We basically, you know, we're a business, we're making the money, we're spending it to keep the, bez- the business going. And, um, so instead of a beautiful lunch on a huge lawn, um, with you know rolling hills coming away from our chateau up on the top of a hill where you're looking at the vineyards, well, we don't have that, so sometimes we have um plastic folding tables with lunch under a tree, pretty tablecloths, but um you know with food that i've cooked and maybe imperfect at that moment because that's what (laughs) happens when you're cooking in the food yourself. It probably happens when other people cook too, I imagine. And, um, and people say to us all the time, this is what we're looking for. This is the family vibe that we're after in a winery. We don't want a big corporate vibe. We want real people doing real things
1: living real stories. Yeah, (laughs)
0: exactly. And lots of times we'll have our kids serving, food and, you know, just, we, we're the real deal, I guess. And, um, and that's just who we are. And so I stopped trying to fight against it and make us try to make us look bigger and fancier than we are and just went with it and realized that there's a lot more joy in that for me. And there's a lot more joy in it for our customers too, that that's really what they think of as the wine industry. Some of them, the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> or another thing you could say is like, think about a children's birthday party, right? I think back so many times of just stressing myself out because I wanted to have the families. I want to have the adults and the kids and the grandparents and the, um, so, you know, ends up being like 40 people and then we're going to have to have dinner and I'm going to cook for all those people and we have to have pressed napkins for that. And, um, and, Just to the point where I probably could have just had people over for cake and ice cream and it would have been just fine. The child would never have known the difference. The people would have had just as much fun and it didn't wouldn't have had to look like a magazine necessarily. But I think that striving for the magazine look will absolutely debilitate you over time.
1: Over time. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, I think, it seems to me like a lot of the moving parts that are in the backdrop of that presentation impact what you have to give for yeah. that presentation, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: They impact the energy you bring to whatever, for instance, the gathering is. And it impacts the energy that everyone around you, particularly in my case, my family, because I would, you know, push them, we got to do this, we got to do this. They're coming in 15 minutes, blah, 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 blah. It'd be so stressful. And nobody was having fun. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, this isn't what it's about. It's supposed to
1: be about having, finding joy. So. Isn't that something? It's funny when I realize that I turn into this, I don't know, a little bit of a demanding monster. <laughs> it's when I feel pressure from time. And that might be a demanding monster outside or inside a lot of times it's internally yeah you know when my gut starts feeling like right you know or that's where I, I carry stress a lot of the time I totally got that <laughs> and, yeah. and a lot of times it's when all of a sudden I like time demands start yeah showing up even perceptively like oh it could be like okay I've got x y and z to do today X is taking way longer than I thought. How am I going to get to the Y and Z? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, I gotta
0: do this. Yeah. Right. It, I think for me, and part of it is, you know, I'm 56 years old and I think part of it is that uh, with time, I've just realized people say to me all the time, Oh my God, you do it all. And I don't do it all. I mean, my kitchen's a mess right now. There's laundry that needs to be done. It, there's always more going on. You know, we have to remember that, that there's always more going on with people than we see. And mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't mean that's a bad thing. And we can leave our dirty kitchen and walk away from it, that's fine, who cares? right? it'll. Those dishes are patient. They'll be there when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> They're as
1: patient as can be. Right. I and, love that. Uh,
0: and so it's important to one of the things, other uh, things I think I've really learned in life and my cancer diagnosis has emphasized it is to say yes as often as possible. And, um, I started thinking about that when my kids were teenagers and people would say to me, you have such great kids. How come they're so great? You make adolescence look so easy. And I was like, do I really, you know, it didn't, I didn't really think that it looked that easy. It it, it certainly had its ups and downs, but happily, thank goodness, not, not too much drama or trauma. Um, But with teenagers, I found not premeditated i stumbled upon this by accident that is just important to say yes as often as possible and when you say no you mean it but don't say no just to say no right like why can't you go to a friend's house i don't know um because my mom wouldn't have let me do that you know for whatever reason
1: Mm -hmm. no
0: go i mean for me I've always emphasized that our family time is the most important and um but after that if there's something you want to do do it if you're not in harm's way and you know just say yes and I, that has been as I look back my whole approach to life <laughs> that um sure I would love to try that wine. Sure, I would love to ha- try this food that's totally exotic, and I would never have thought I was going to eat or cook <laughs> for myself. Certainly, right. or I'd love to go here, or you know, whatever it is. It's just why not? Why do we say no so often?
1: We get in our routines and, and in our do. ways. We get set in our and ways, and we get worried about our time. Yeah, like yes. we were
0: saying, if we don't do stay on schedule, then what will happen? And I guess I thought about this once um, when my brother had a a small child in his life and we pulled up and he was going to run into the store. And the little boy said, can I come with you? And into the store. And my brother said, no, no, you stay here. And and then the little boy asked again. And then he goes, all right, I guess so. And I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder why he didn't just say yes the first time. And maybe that was the first time I ever thought about it. But anyway, say yes as often as possible. I think it's really important.
1: And that's so interesting in light of this podcast. I... You know, I've had my ideas going into the podcast, like what it would be about and what it's for. And, you know, I'm inspired just for meeting with you and other women and just to hear their stories and their yeah. perspective and what they've learned and what they're learning and what they're dealing with and what they've dealt with, you know, and just the different cultures that they've come from and right. how all the cultures within cultures have influenced again where they are. Right. And I I say, We're all a beautiful collision of cultures, and there's certain people that you're just like. Wow, like you really are. Like, how'd you get from Lansing, Michigan, <laughs> clear over you yeah. know, to Wine Country, Oregon? And and that journey that's happened. But what I've learned in just this podcasting journey is that I think we are so limited by we think by our perception of time, this linear mm-hmm. perception. Of time, And a lot of times we miss out on the joy of the journey for saying no. And I think yep. I've, I've thought, you know, my going into having to come up with a career, you know, when my kids are at the ages that they were yeah. and to feel so stunned by that. But I, it's like, I have this perception that I need to find the perfect thing right now and as fast as possible. And, yeah. and you say no to other opportunities that could lead to other opportunities. And that's why part of this evolution has been to show the evolution involved in the ways that people make money, but also in the the evolution of life and that that beautiful trusting of the process of life. But that saying yes, just trying it. It's so important. And what you said is,
0: I love the way you said that, is just trusting the process of life because um, uh, if you say yes to this thing, it's gonna open up that door where if you had said no you wouldn't even know that door was there right (laughs) there's so many opportunities out there and um i don't know who said it first but it's like the gps on your phone right if you turn left when you're when the gps wants you to turn right it will reroute you and wherever you'll end up back on the right path Mm -hmm. and nothing is really very few things are really very permanent
1: Yeah, It's true. It's really true. But it's just that I think our limited perspective that traps us or uh, lures us into thinking that things are so permanent. Yeah, because we like to be safe too. Oh yeah, it's our brain, our lizard brain. It's like, keep us safe, keep us safe, keep us safe. I want to be safe. Yeah. And even the familiar of something that's even not really healthy or good sometimes is it feels more safe than the launching into the unknown that can open us up to things that are so much more healthy, so much more invigorating, so much more. Right. (laughs) So much more, whatever, so many Mm -hmm. options. I really admire
0: you for, um, I mean, how scary that must've been to have five children, small children and no source of income for creating your life. That's
1: so admirable. Kind of terrifying, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm sure. You know,
1: it's kind of funny. My mother, before she passed away, she had been in a car accident maybe 15 years prior. Mm-hmm. You know, as a result, had neck injury, had, you know, got on pain medications, ended up becoming wildly addicted to pharmaceutical oh. grade, you know, narcotics and all the things, you know, the benzos. It's It was a whole cocktail of things oh, I'm sorry. and you know, and I, I was living around the country, you know, yeah. during this time and I would see her and we would talk about it. I'd be like, mom, I think this was getting out of hand, mom. And she, you know, she had every intent to get things, you know, wrapped up. But finally we were like, no, really like something has to happen. And she went through addiction you know, through rehab and she came out. I'm just like, just so much, um, more refined and a less refined presentation. Huh. I don't know if that. <laughs> That's interesting. Like, I'm trying to figure out what that means. Okay, well I'll explain. So, growing up my mom, you know, she would cuss here like quite regularly actually, but I was like, you know, shit down in hell, right? So, but my dad didn't like it. So, oh. of course, I never said anything. And we get to the stage where my children, one of my kids just cussed right one day, just, ah, you yeah. know, and she goes, oh, sorry, mom. She goes, honestly, I think I learned it from Mimi. <laughs> 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 so I was with my mom and I said, so my kids and my other kids had chimed in. Yep, we learned it from Mimi. <laughs> 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 so I said, hey, mom, so my kids say they learn all their cussing from you. And she said, you sent me where I learned best, which was to drug rehab. Oh, But. This, you know, so that's what I'm saying. Like, so there is this less refined presentation, but we that we laughed about it because I said, I'm glad I did. I'm uh, glad I said." rather have her than, uh-huh. uh, than no swearing. Exactly. And and it was so cute because we laughed about it. And then she said, you know, Ruthanne, sometimes there's no more direct way to express what you're feeling, Yeah, to say it just so and just have it be out there and done. Like, <laughs> And again, we laughed about it, you know. Well, fast forward to just before she passed away in May, I was taking her to a doctor's appointment. They thought she had cancer in her lung. Mm-hmm. They had found a mass and they they said they'd done some testing up to this point. But she had this little mini meltdown before we headed off to this doctor's appointment where they were going to do a further, mm-hmm. more in-depth study to figure out what was going on. And she's like, I know it's cancer. I know it's cancer. It's the worst. It's my worst fear. You know, and we talked and, and I started getting worked up and I said, wait, I'm not going to get myself worked up until I know that this is cancer. And we ended up, we go on this to this doctor's appointment and we had just the best, warmest, like, just a great time. We get to the doctor's appointment. They do the test. Continue our conversation on the way back. Just so much. I don't know bonding around this. I you know just around the ever present awareness that. You know the conversation around cancer is always right one of like ooh I mean it's yeah the, it's scary for the, sure the big bad C word right yeah. you know and and yet like also there was just this freed. I, the, the like we were just so free to communicate yeah. and to just be in, nice. in in that little encapsulated time. Well, fast forward, it wasn't cancer. Ended up being an infection, but she had to have this major surgery. So she has a surgery. She had been recuperating, and then she passed away in her sleep. And really, it was like the time frame. If if she had had some crazy aggressive cancer, yeah. you know, and and I thought, isn't that something? We just never know when right. life is going. Nothing is promised. Nothing is promised. And I I had a moment with my son. I was missing my mom terribly. My husband and I had decided to divorce. And he called to say hello. We were talking. And I was in this, I kind of circled into this space where I was really, like, angry. That yeah. my mo- I was so mad that my mom was taken from me mm. at a time when I wanted her. Right you know and you <laughs> know and you know he said something to me that um here I'm sharing this on this podcast <laughs> but he he said mom he said I'm going to stop you right now he said you know that I would give anything to have one last conversation with me he said but when you say she died too young, because I was going off about how she died too young, she died way too young It's not fair. And he said, when you say she died too young, you devalue her life because her life mattered as much if she lived to be 64 as it did if she lived to be 80 or 90. She lived and oh. we got to be part of her life, her life. Wow. Wow. <laughs> And I was taken back. Yeah. At first, I think I said something like, oh, shut up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle that truth right now. <laughs> like in a good natured way. But also in a like, whoa, I'm going to think I'm going to I'm going to sit with that. Yeah. For a that's minute. very insightful. It was so profound to me. Yeah. Like, she lived and I got to be part of her life. Aww. And that's something to be grateful for. And ironically, hmm. I don't know. I feel like she's with me. Every single step of the way. Yeah. You know, there's not a part. And and in some ways, maybe even more accessible than she's ever been, you know. Right. However it all works. (laughs) I,
0: you know, I know exactly what you mean. My mom passed away four or five years ago and I, I feel like she's with me a lot. I talk to her and the older I get, the more I feel like I, I can just feel like sometimes I can even just feel in my face A look like hers you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah (laughs) that happened to me last night a look that says so much with no words at all no words at all no mirror no nothing i just was like i look exactly like mom right now you Mm -hmm. know just it's kind of interesting but it's so neat so so neat yeah Yeah. i don't mind it when it happens at all i feel like we're connected for sure yeah yeah
1: like Undoubtedly, ever, never can be taken away connected. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So, can you tell me, take me back to like the early days of when you were, I guess, building the wine company? Mm -hmm. I love what you said about what people were really looking for, they found in your company. Yeah. I th- Linda said to me, she said, the essence of Marie is sprinkled all over whatever she does. <laughs> and, and it has to do with, she said, she's such a gracious host. And there's just, essentially, there's a magic about you in regards to people. You're really good at bringing out the best in people. I That's really interesting that she said that. I actually
0: um, have only recently learned begun to learn that about myself a couple people have said to me and and this makes sense but I think it's one of those things you can't necessarily observe about yourself but other people observe it and for me I think that my real talent is in connecting people is to in bringing people together I'm always thinking about it and um and I don't realize it you know, I, I, I'm just thinking about your people. normal,
1: your normals. your normal. My, right? That's
0: right. And it's my normal, I guess, to connect people. And um, and also I hope to bring them together in lovely, comfortable, delicious settings. You know, I think <laughs> that brings out the best in people. When I first got out of college, I worked in a French restaurant in Chicago and I one of the things I learned there, it ended up being a really big influence on my life, even though it was only like a year. But one of the things I learned about life when I worked there was what I observed in these French chefs that, who hung out in our restaurant. Chicago in the late 80s, you know, big still is a big food scene. But all these French chefs, there were many of them who were very famous. And the chef I worked for, the restaurant I worked for was not as famous. It was a little more off the beaten path. And it was super authentically French. And so all the famous ones would come there at night after they, their, they finished their restaurants. And they would set up a long table. There would be like 10 of them. And they would eat and drink and smoke and laugh and talk and speak in French. And it was just like their little hideaway, you know, where to the extent that there was food paparazzi and there was a little bit. But (laughs) they could just go there and be French and not have anybody observing them. For me, I think that was the first place I learned. I observed really the sheer relaxed joy of people around a table. And that's what I have always wanted to emulate and have, you know, sometimes been successful and not always. But um, but then, you know, the following year was when I was working in all the years are influential. You know, don't you ever think back on your life and say, oh, that's why I was doing this. That's what I learned from this situation. So the following year after the French restaurant was a year and a half, I worked in public relations for Bloomingdale's in Chicago, which was a very big deal that they opened a store outside of New York. And I worked for this woman who was an incredible taskmaster. I mean, she was a workaholic To the nth degree, I can remember her middle school age child just sitting there on the phone, the hold light blinking, and I knew it was her child, and she just wouldn't stop what she was doing and pick up the phone and talk to her. She was amazing. She worked all the time. And I can't say that I liked her, but I learned a ton from her. And what Linda's talking about, where you see the essence of me in everything I do... It's because I have a really clear vision about the way I want my winery to be perceived. And I also know that, I mean, it's such a dirty word, that whole like branding thing. But I also know that being authentically who you are is so important when you have a business and showing people who that is is so important. I used to have a young woman who worked for me in our tasting room and um, I had, this was back in the day of iPods, and I had a set playlist of, I don't know, (laughs) like 36 hours worth of music or something like that, that they could play when we were open. That was the soundtrack for our winery. And this woman, It consistently, she was not really that young either, would put on her own music. And I walked in one day and she was it was a different playlist or whatever, her own iPod. I don't know. And I said, what is this music? And she said, oh, I just had this on because no one was in here. And I said to her, you know, when your name is on that door, you can play whatever music you want. But I have worked my whole life to get to this point, to build this brand, but not so not just meaning the winery, our Stewart winery, but to build Maria and Rob Stewart also as an entity. And I believe that we are. My name's on that door. And this is my life's work. So please take your soundtrack off and put that
1: mind back on. It's not that hard to listen to. Well, music is so influential. Yes. It also energetically says something about the space too, which, I mean, it's just making me think of this, which even if you liked the playlist that she was playing, if it isn't congruent with what you're trying to create and where you're so keen on how you want that consistency. Yeah to be implemented (laughs) like it would be really yeah It
0: it was really frustrating and then another day the guy who owned the cafe at the time next door said to me I love this playlist so much can I buy it from you and play it in the cafe and I said no then the wine bar and the cafe would have exactly the same music
1: yeah and
0: that doesn't make any sense.
1: That doesn't work either. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of interesting. Like, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> right. Thank you for
0: the compliment. But it's mine. And I don't mean to say, like, it's mine. Like, I don't want to share. But
1: um, this I created this for a reason. Mm-hmm. And speaking to that saying no. I think, you know, this was brought to light in the last interview I did. I've done, well, even the last couple that I've done. And I think it this resurfaces over and again, as we move through life and through whatever we're doing professionally, personally, you know, whatever, like there's that idea of saying yes to things. Mm -hmm. There's also this idea part of saying yes can be taking on too much. Yeah. And so when is it and how do you develop the talent of saying no, but in a way where you're not putting somebody else down by saying no. Right. You're just making a statement for what you're working for. Right. That's so true. And
0: yeah, I mean, when I say,
1: say yes to whatever you can, I mean,
0: in terms of our businesses and our personal lives, if if it's authentic for us. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. if it feels right. I once had somebody come to me and ask if, the, the Portland Ducati motorcycle group could have a motorcycle show in our winery. And I said, no. I mean, I, apparently, you know, they're, they're all a bunch of wealthy people who have a passion for the finer things in life. And that's why he said I should want them in my winery. And I said, but motorcy- I don't really need to have another event and motorcycles have nothing to do with who we are. Like, there's somebody else out there who's a better fit for this than me. Mm -hmm. So you're right. We have to be able to say no if we sense that it's not authentically who we are.
1: Yeah. And I like what you're talking about, the authenticity, that being really aware of what you're working for, that consistency backing what you're doing. Like, did you have a business plan, a specific business plan? And (laughs) it just. okay. so like you see. Both methods in in the approach to to business, right? Right. Like sometimes. However, it sounds to me like you were very clear on how you wanted it to be perceived and how yes. you wanted what you wanted it to be. Which sounds to me from what you were saying, when people would give you compliments on, this is what we're looking for. It seems like that helped to refine some. Absolutely, of that. and yeah, it,
0: it was hard for. I don't think I was really clear at the beginning at the way I wanted us to be perceived, except for, for people to understand that we're making really good wine and that Rob's a great winemaker. But in fact, um, we had a business partner in the beginning of our business actually for about 15 years. And she had a very different perception, very different idea than I did about the way the winery should be perceived. And I didn't realize how strongly I felt held my beliefs were until I came, you know, crashing into her over and over again with one of us saying, I think we should do it this way. And the other one saying, I think we should do it this way. You know, that was a really hard thing for my business and my marriage because I'm married to my other business partner. (laughs) And um, I think it was really an identity First crisis and then building experience for the winery. And it wasn't until we parted ways with that woman that we were able to get super clear about who we were Mm -hmm. and what we were doing and why. And so that's really only been in the last seven or so years. Hmm. Though there were steps leading up to it, like the conversation about the music at the tasting room happened probably 10 years ago. And so there was, was things like that that were... You know, I was
1: little drops clarifying. in the bucket about of of this. Yeah. Clarification process. Yeah. Right. Who we were and why. Uh, that's really neat. So. How, and maybe you could speak of, you know, when you're working with people, you have partners or your partner being your husband, even, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> right. And, and when you're dealing with them at a personal level, that's awesome. And can be challenging. Yeah. And when you're dealing with them at a the business level, it can be awesome and challenging. Put them together and they can be extremely awesome um, and extremely challenging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how how do you work and how have you maybe been refined by the process of giving criticism, re- receiving criticism, mm-hmm. and being able to use it, as you say, as this springboard for really growing?
0: right. Um, one thing I've learned is that not everything about a marriage slash business partnership has to be done in unity. What I mean by that is, um, well, partly it's because in our business, my husband is the winemaker and I am basically, I mean, you could sum it up by saying I'm in charge of the way things look. Uh, so, the labels, the website, the printed materials. So, the that's tasting, the marketing. Right? The marketing, yeah. And the vibe, right? And so, with my husband, he's a little bit like a mad scientist in that what he cares most about is making wine and he doesn't really care about how I get it sold.
1: <laughs> he's the technician. He's a, yeah, he's a scientist and he
0: is um, an artist. An incredibly um,
1: important role so in any important. Business. <laughs> um,
0: But we have a really clear delineation of our responsibilities. And so for me, after we finally parted ways with our partner, um, I was able to spend a lot of time refining and rethinking who we were, what we wanted to project to the world, what our brand was, I say with quotation marks. And he didn't even really have to be a part of it. I mean, I have, I've talked about it with him. He totally agrees with me, but that's really my thing. And so, but it is hard. I mean, being married to your business partner is very hard because work never stops.
1: Yeah. We both are
0: the kind of people who really work a lot anyway and think about our work. And, and I think because we're owners and so it's easy for him to come home from work. I work at home and for us to sit down to dinner and just keep talking, right about business, keep, keep going. The day does not end and that's not healthy at all, of course. And so, um, I think drawing a line between home and business is the most important thing. I think kids help with that, of course, because they force you, (laughs) but, um, we have come, we came to a lot of conclusions together, but we make a lot of day-to-day decisions in our separate arenas and it doesn't really impact the other one. Yeah. Yeah and And we don't have to get involved, like I do not have to get involved telling him how to make wine a I don't know how to make wine b he's damn good at it. Why should I tell him how to do it? yeah, why why mess after I taught him to stop picking up the phone at the winery, it was a lot better off for my end of the world too, because he'd answer the phone on a Sunday and it would be somebody asking for twenty case donation and he'd say yes, and I'm like, we can't donate twenty cases. <laughs> anyway, I had to teach him to not answer the phone, oh. <laughs> so he didn't get himself into a situation
1: where we could, you know, yeah, you couldn't recover from right <laughs> or easily. Yeah, so, so that's really it's leading me. Like, I love this. This is awesome. Like, we were you really clear at the beginning? That he would make the wine. He, you were on that because oh, yeah. he knew that's, how to make the wine. That's right. And th- but on absolutely. the other part, on the, the PR, the marketing, yeah. the perception. We were perception. really
0: clear. But, but it was more, the muddiness came more with the business partner
1: than with him, the, the other business partner, mm-hmm. than with, between he and I. Because there was a collision of, of how to go about it. And, yeah. and the identity of that, what you wanted it to be, wasn't so clear? It wasn't. And I
0: think that that responsibility fell to all of us. We knew we wanted to have our own thing and not work for other people. But we didn't know. I mean, in hindsight, I can see we were not really clear about what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it's that has form, formulated over time and partly in response to what else is happening in our industry. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of new big money coming into the Oregon wine industry and that's bound to happen anywhere. But um, that pushes us to get more clear about who we are. Which I think is always a good thing.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could say that about life. I'm sure. We have all this new everything. Right. (laughs) Like, even as we age and as our bodies start having the issues that they do. Right. You know, you got all these younger, you know, like, and and that awareness of who am I? Yeah. I'm me when I'm young. I'm me when I'm old. i mean, me when I'm healthy. I'm me when I'm not. Like, who am I? Yeah.
0: (laughs) I think it's also true that, like, for instance, in the world of technology changing so much. I mean, we mm-hmm. didn't even have iPhones in 2000, tw- which is only 20 years ago, people. Oh, I mean, it's I know. amazing to me. It's I don't a-
1: think I got my first cell phone until after that. Yeah. It was after that. I
0: actually think it was 2003 or 2006 or something like that I just read. But I was thinking about how I'm at a place now where I'm, like, trying to break up with my phone. I do (laughs) not want it bugging me all the time and telling me (laughs) what's happening in Afghanistan or what's happening down the street. I want to just, like, live my life.
1: Yeah. We change according to the world, too. You're right. Which is, like, we're adapting. We're... We're using it for the good things and what can enhance what we're doing, but at the same time finding the balance, yeah, you know there's it's always a balance it's around. always and it's always a challenge mhm yeah i um I say with real estate, this is like oh it's you're carrying it's everything. that diaper bag with a baby in it that is your phone, yeah, and it's your. You're, you know, right. and, and you have to be very responsive. Right. You know, right. And, and it's not like people say, ah, get off your phone. I'm like, no, I actually try. Is This is not, if I could just leave it and go on a vacation for like two weeks. Wouldn't that be great? Oh my, it'd be so fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not talk to anybody. <laughs> not that you don't want to talk to anybody, but talk to people that you're with.
0: Right. Like just, have a separate phone that is only for your kids or yeah. your best friends. or yes. Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, so I wanted to ask <clears throat> speaking to um in business being authentically who you are and show like letting that be seen how do people do that if they're trying to create something trying to refine their own brand their own idea of what they want to be perceived as how how do people do that I mean yours was a very almost a we know we want to do this. You just started going and then that kind of refined as it went. That's right. Which, in some, in some ways, can be maybe even a real fast approach to it. It was very, definitely. But it can also be very painful mm-hmm. if you have collision. Yep. Collisions and relationships are in relationships or in, you know, like, you know, absolutely. Which, again, can make you grow fast too, you yeah. know, and learn a lot. Um, one of the things that,
0: well, I don't know that this doesn't that this really answers your question, but it's just something I've been thinking about because of something um, my niece said to me actually, which, and she's a super smart cookie and she is um, excels at sales. And she was visiting me uh, a couple of months ago and she said, well, you know, I think if you did this and A, B, C, D and your sales would go through the roof and you blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, you could be the biggest thing. And I'm like, I don't really wanna be the biggest thing. I wanna be a size that we can manage i don't want to hire eight sales reps to be out in the world selling our wine i want to be a size we can manage we can touch our customers still and and we do have customers all over the country i mean we're distributed in about 40 states so we can't but i can still feel like i can reach them you know yeah i there's another winery that started here in oregon right about the (laughs) same time we did and they're now the biggest winery in oregon And they're wonderful people.
1: They do a lot of things well, but they're kind of a machine, you know? Which to get to that level, you have to be, right? You have to be. It's the whole Starbucks versus the local coffee shop. That's exactly right. You can have that same coffee shop and feel if you, you know, if you rein it in, but to make it where you can, yeah, it becomes a machine. I don't care about being the biggest. I care about doing what we do well kind of back to bringing people back to that table that year at that French restaurant. I loved what you said when you said it was a place where they could come and just be French. Yeah. And from listening to you talk, it sounds to me like you've really done a fantastic job about bringing people together and allowing them to be them.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope so. That's what I, that's what I strive for. And I I just think it's so important. You know, humanity is... We can't lose our humanity, you know, and like we were just talking about iPhones and and other communities where people don't know each other and people don't support each other necessarily or all the things that McMinnville has Mm -hmm. and does do. I don't want to live in a world where people aren't thriving as themselves. I really think that that is building community is the best way for people to draw people out, for people to feel comfortable and say, Actually, this is what I think. And I'm not just parroting what I heard on NPR or Fox News or mm-hmm. anything. I'm just, this is me and this is what I think. And um, and so I think the key to that, the crux of that is building community. And doing that around the table is a pretty, pretty pleasant way to do it.
1: I love it. You know, I've thought of this like three times since you've been talking. I, my daughter... It, my oldest daughter, she's 20.
0: Okay. And
1: she moved in with me. She moved back from Florida, kind of when COVID was shutting the whole world down. So yeah. it was like this perfect time. Right. And she started cooking, loving to cook. You know, she's cooking for us and kind of in exchange for rent. And I'm like, hey, this is a great <laughs> trade. <laughs> and, but then like with work, like taking on this career later in life. And I am not, I love and appreciate good food, but I'm not a foodie in that when I say that, I mean, I could eat oatmeal every day for breakfast. I think I have. like I think like 90% of my life has been breakfast. And I'm, I'm have, a creature I, of habit. I'm a creature of habit. I'm good. Like, if I get sustenance, it's healthy. I mean, I like variety. I actually like it. I appreciate it. I just don't need it to feel emotionally sound and grounded. Yeah. Right. Where I have a couple of kids that I would call foodies, like, they will go insane if they don't get variety in the context of yeah. Food and it can be even a simply like they just have like taste as to what will work for them. Yeah, <laughs> going okay. I don't know if that makes any, it's interesting any sense to you. Okay, I, I'm probably. I mean, foodie means all cor- kinds of different. It does, things, yeah. right? Right. But this conversation I had with my daughter, it was so busy, and I kept. It was this period where I didn't want to t- t- break to eat, but I needed to break to eat. But yeah. we weren't eating together. Like it was kind of like the sporadic. Yeah. And I had made a comment, I'm sure more than one, I'm sure he'd made several about, oh, it's so annoying to have to eat. And, and she said to me one day, she said, why can't we come together around this most base human need mm-hmm. that we collectively share? Mm-hmm. Why? Like it was, it was a. Pr- I'm not even saying it in the exact words that she said it, but it struck me. Like, why can't we connect over this yeah. base need that we had, yeah. that we have, that we share? And I remember, um, you know, when I grew up, we had dinner together. All, like most, I would say, four or five days out of the week, probably yeah. five days, probably at least five days out of the week, we had right. dinner. You right. know, we sat down together. And culturally, my former husband, his family was not like that. Oh, really? uh uh-uh. They didn't, like, oft- most of the time it was people passing. And... Mm-hmm. Most of my kids' lives, we did have dinner together, and then there's this new shift in life happened, and it was easy to – this, you know, and then when people don't like what's always cooked, then you're just like, ah, make your – you know? Right, right. (laughs) And I have recently thought about how much we've lost – and how, how much I want to bring back. So I ju- my brother has been helping me make a table, this beautiful hickory table. Oh, nice. And it has been a long, <laughs> drawn-out process. And part of this process, like, we finished it, and he helped me put an epoxy coat, and the epoxy coat did not go well. So oh. then I had to figure out how to get it off. That took a lot of
0: I'm sure. Mental
1: stamina just to engage with in the courage to go and dress and oh, deal with that. <laughs> yeah. But it's finally done and just got into my house. Oh good. But as I had been working on it, I kept thinking of that Brandy Carlisle song, Crowded Table. I don't know it. Oh, it's so beautiful. Like I'm I want a house. Listen to it. She she sings it with another artist too. But it's basically like you would love it based yeah. upon everything you're saying. Just I want a house with a crowded table. And it's basically there's a line in it that says One of the verses says, the door is always open. Your picture's on my wall. Everyone's a little broken and everyone belongs. Yeah, everyone belongs. And it's all about everyone belongs around this crowded table. Yeah. (laughs) And I
0: love that. Yeah. You'll have to go check out that song. I will, for sure. I didn't grow up with that, but I wanted to. And so I think that's why I've created it in my own life. My mother was a very stressed out and fussy cook people always say did your mother teach you to cook and i'm like well not really i mean some things right mm-hmm. but like how to bake cookies and stuff like that but yeah that everyone it's interesting there's a german word i don't know if i'm saying it correctly called Gemütlichkeit. the word is and it doesn't translate to english the word is Gemütlichkeit, and it's the way you feel when people come together and everyone belongs and everyone feels good and is having a good time and everyone feels heard and seen and the joy and the, I mean, I always think of like the glow of candlelight, you know, the joy and the warmth, it just permeates the entire setting. And that's very gemutlik, or there's a lot of gemutlikite there. And um, we actually based a whole (laughs) marketing campaign for our winery around that word a couple of years ago, because it's so just well describes
1: the way we hope to help people to feel that way. So what other, like, I, I would love to talk to you about um, your copywriting skills, which I know this all plays into your PR, Mm -hmm. probably some of what you got from working for Bloomingdale's.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was an English and journalism major in college, I really believe that good writing is the key to success in so many arenas. Um, If you can make yourself heard and understood. And for me, what's important is conveying who I am. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I've just hired this young woman to be my marketing assistant. She's 22. She's right out of college. She's, wonderful, super talented at a lot of things. And um, I said to her, you're going to have to try to adopt the winery's voice. And the winery's voice is my voice, basically, because I do all the writing for the website and the newsletters and all that stuff. That is a really big job, and I have yet to figure out how to teach
1: somebody to do that. That was going to be my next question. How do you learn? Because I feel like, you know, I mean, I took honors, English classes and stuff, but English, I'm a math girl. You know, my mom. Yeah,
0: well, science, you wanted to go into medicine.
1: Yeah, and my mother was definitely not a science and math girl, and she was most definitely an English girl. Yeah. So I did well in school because I'd bring her my papers, and she make the 4th of July happen on them (laughs) and send them back two and three times, you know? Right. But I got better at writing from where I was. But what if somebody, including myself, I need to get better and I I want to get better. Like how do you all do? Yeah. How How do you do that? Practice, I think. Well, practice then like, do you have means of, County how do you have it scrutinized? You know what I'm saying? Like, because we're yeah. only limited by our own ability, right? right. And- well,
0: I um, I have some friends that I'll send work to if I feel like something needs to be proofed or is this is this coming out okay? Or, you know, you have to be careful, too, about messages you send to the public, especially with so much political energy in the air. Yeah. You know, I want to... Or, like, around coronavirus. Does this sound respectful enough? Does this sound... You know, I definitely have people who are also writers who I trust and I and Mm -hmm. I run things by and they do me as well. My sister's one of them. I'll call her up and read stuff out loud to her. Um, But I I do really think it's it comes with time and practice and just writing over and over again. I actually have been I have a plan to write a book, um, which I've been carrying this plan around for (laughs) <laughs> 10 years now <laughs> and I keep thinking I'm going to do it this is the year I'm going to start this is what I'm going to do it and it would be a cookbook but it is not the recipes that get me it's the actually sitting down and writing these kinds of things that we're talking about like why the why the you know why. Yeah. I've written it so many times and in so many different forms and I just don't know
1: I'm gonna get there Yes, yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, that makes me think of the topic, you know, 80%. Like, don't look to get everything, things just perfect, because that limits us. That's right. It limits us from saying yes to things, because we think we have to have it planned out, how to have it be that perfect Right. Right.
0: I have to remind myself, it doesn't have to be
1: perfect to be wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you're, like, the evolution of your business has been what sounds to me like a willingness, even though you were trying to perfect it, the presentation of it, it sounds to me like you've been willing to go out there and, okay, let's see where this goes. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. Let's see where this goes.
0: I think that we have.
1: You've said yes a lot.
0: Right. (laughs) Said yes to a lot of life. That's for sure.
1: Sounds like it. Well, I appreciate you so much. I want, I want, are there any final thoughts you have? You know, when you think of all that you've done, if you could write a message in the stars. Oh, well, maybe
0: it's, it doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful um, because perfectionism is still my Achilles heel like so
1: many other people. But I love that. I really love, do you have a quote that you love? Um, So many, right now,
0: I think this is in light of my cancer diagnosis again, Winston Churchill, I think, though I have not been able to actually confirm that, said, and I, like I said, I think about this in terms of my illness and what I'm taking with me, what I'm doing now. He said, it was uh, during the Second World War, and his cabinet said to him, we should take the money from the arts and put it toward the war effort. And he said, well, then what are we fighting for? And I really agree with that. Like right now, like, you know, I'm supposed to limit my alcohol intake. Well, I have about a half a glass of wine a day, which, you know, is limited considering this industry that I've been in for this long. That's what I think about when I, you know, have a half a glass of wine or do something else. I'm, I mean, there's not really anything I'm not supposed to do, but there are things I should be doing, you
1: Mm -hmm. know, whatever, Mm -hmm. or am
0: doing sometimes. Um, but if there's no life left, what are we what are we fighting for? And that's kind of my favorite quote right now.
1: I love that. Yeah. Well, when you think of art and creating mm-hmm. and building, when we're really actively engaged in creating, we're probably in the best emotional space we can yeah. be. That's where the living is. Right. That's, you know, and sometimes the creating is stepping back and giving space to consider and let the ideas and the perceptions flow, you know, and yet, and then sometimes it's active. But when we're in the midst of all of that, and when I hear art, that's what I think of. I think right. of creating, building. Right. Of I think you're right. It's really
0: when living is at its apex when we're creating things.
1: Mm-hmm. For many of us at least. I don't
0: know if that's true for everybody.
1: Well, I think it comes in lots of different forms. So mm-hmm. it's easy to say, Oh, if you're if you're painting, you're doing art. Right. You know, exactly. if you're creating wine, you're doing art. But it's also an art to be engaged in building like what you're so good at, bringing people together and
0: Yeah, you know <laughs> Right. Right. It's <laughs> an art to do it's, this. To it's do an art a podcast and bring interesting women together. I yeah. love listening to you too. Uh, and I you. love your name, Ruthie.
1: It's one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, my, I was named for my grandma, and oh, she are you? she felt like Ruth was just way too plain, so my parents added Anne, so it's Ruth Anne. Oh, but she was called Ruthie. I I'm called both. Half my family calls me Ruthie Anne. Half yeah. calls me Ruthie. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, one other thing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song or songs? There's a song by Shirley Horn that I love
0: called "Here's to Life."
1: Here's to life. I love, that.
0: I love Shirley Horn's voice and I love that song to dreamers and their dreams. Yeah. And there's probably about 10 million more. Thank you. Thank you. It was really a pleasure.
1: Yeah. what a beautiful life.
0: Oh,
1: I've been very lucky. Beautiful life you're living. Thank you for joining me today. Would you hit the subscribe button and follow along? And then would you please pause and leave a five-star review? I'd be extra grateful. It helps me tremendously. Also, would you please share this podcast with one person you know of that is looking to start a new career or looking for a side hustle or starting over? Also, you can follow me on Instagram at The Ruthie Podcast. I'll keep you posted there. And remember to check out The Ruthie Podcast playlist on Spotify. Now, go make today great. Explore experience. Then take it all on the inside and ask, now what?